0: All right, everyone, welcome to Magnifying God. This is your host, Adam Michael. Um, I'm here today with Debbie Simpson, and we are going to be talking today about identity. Now, we've been walking through a series, and this series has just been so helpful, even to me, just reviewing these things has been so helpful. And the series is on a book that was written and it is called Prepare to Overcome. Now, prior to Prepare to Overcome, there was a workbook that was written, and that was called Preparing the Saints. And in Preparing the Saints, we're going to go over the first four chapters, and it was Rebuilding the Walls. Rebuilding the Walls was chapter one. Chapter two was the kingdom of God, God's government coming down. To reign in us. The next one was repentance, a turning, a changing the way you think. And then the person of the Holy Spirit. That was chapter four. It was the Holy Spirit and who that person was. Why is he so important today? And why we need to be baptized and immersed and have him rest upon us. So that was the First four chapters, we're now moving into one of my favorites, its identity, who we are in Christ. Now, I'm actually looking at the image here on Preparing the Saints, which is the workbook, and I'm looking and staring at a chessboard. And this chessboard has a mirror on it, and there is a pawn that is looking. At its reflection. And the palm that's looking at its reflection, the reflection in that mirror is that of a king. And that is so true about who we are. We may look at ourselves in the flesh and we may see things that maybe we don't like, but in the spirit, if you are born again, you are a new creation because. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You are completely brand new. Completely brand new. A lot of people say, oh, you're you're like an old rusted beat up car that's getting restored. No, that is not true at all. Let's say you are a nineteen ninety-six Honda. All right. You start out as a nineteen ninety-six Honda, and you know, it's got a ignition, a keys, and so on and so forth. So you know, you put your the key in the ignition, you turn it on, you go. Well, you know, the thing's falling apart. Okay, that's the that's the old nature. That's who you were prior to Christ. Because then when Christ comes, He makes you born again. He gives you, let's say, a Lamborghini. You become a Lamborghini. Now, from the outside, you look like a Lamborghini. You look like Christ. On the inside, you have to renew your mind, which deals with repentance, changing the way you think. So now you're able to function in this new creation, in this Lamborghini. So for instance... I get in the car, the Lamborghini, the doors actually open differently. So I've got to learn how to just open the doors just to get in. And then I sit down and now I'm looking for, you know, the ignition and I'm, I'm looking where, where do I put these keys? And then I realize it's a push button start. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And then you push the button. and Now the car starts. And then I'm looking for the shifter. I'm looking and trying to familiarize myself with who I am now if that makes sense. So then what I would turn to is the car manual. I'd actually go to the glove box and I'd pull out the manual and I'd read and learn about this new car that I have. Now, the same thing applies with a new believer. There was once a way that your thinking and your thought processes were out of this kingdom of darkness. And now he's trans. You into the very image and likeness of the Son of God. He's made you new. He's breathed life into you. There's nothing that you can't do with Him. And if you are a new creation, the old is gone. That old car, that old way of thinking, that old way of functioning in this world is now all gone. Now, here is where the struggle comes, because the enemy has nothing on you, has nothing on you, because you're protected in the beloved, you're protected in Christ. The only way he can get to you is to call you back into that old nature, those old habits, those those strongholds, and that's where the Word of God, the rebuilding of the walls, which in the first chapter, protects us from that. So that we stay in him at all times. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I put my armor on every morning. And I'm like, well, why do you even take it off? I'd sleep with my armor on. I mean, technically, that's why I actually sleep with the audio Bible playing at night. And it's amazing. I recommend it. But it is so important that we stay in him. Now... I also hear a lot of people, by a lot, I mean most Christians, think to themselves as a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I correct them right away. I'm like, no, you were a sinner, but then you became a child of God. You were adopted into his family. So when people think they are sinners, they think, I'm guilty, I'm shame, I have shame, I have condemnation. Now all three of those, if you are feeling guilty, if you are fearing that you have shame or condemnation on you, those are anti-gospel. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he died on the cross to set you free from those thoughts. What is guilt saying? Guilt saying I'm not forgiven. Yet you have been forgiven because of what Jesus did. Shame says, that's still who I am. That's that belief system of that's still who I am. That is not who you are. That's the old man. He's, we're told to put off the old man and put on the new. And then condemnation says, I am still liable for judgment. I'm going to get judged. That is what Jesus did on the cross for us. He didn't die for For us, he died as us. And then he gave us his divine nature. Now, if we believe that the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation, if we're carrying that, that leads to regret, and regret leads to death. That is exactly what the enemy does. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to talk you out of who you are. And I cannot, I cannot say this enough. You have been made perfect, holy and blameless. I had a brother come to me and says, "I just feel so dirty." and I ask him this question: "Are you a believer?" He's like, "Yes." And I'm like, this is where you don't trust those feelings. You trust the word of God because the word of God is going to set you free. And his kindness will lead to repentance. And I then walked him through this analogy. I said, if I were to take a stick and I would run this stick through a can of white paint and then pull out that stick on the other side of that can of paint, would you see any part of that stick? And he said, No. And I said, Exactly. The old you is gone. You have been clothed in white. His blood, Jesus' blood, has washed you as white as snow. And I remember the conversation, because it didn't happen too long ago. And there was that still that feeling of, of shame and guilt and uncleanness. And I said, so then what you're saying is, Jesus failed. His blood cannot clean you up completely. And that tore down a stronghold in his life because he's like, well, wait, no, the power of the blood can do it. I'm like, exactly. And it has done it in your life. And then all of a sudden, this man was set free. And it's that mindset of this old man mindset. It gets you out of the, the walls of protection. And that's where the enemy is. And that's where the enemy will destroy you from the inside out. There's a couple other verses. I've had it. I, it's a brother, well, I'm a saint and I'm a sinner. And I'm saying to myself, no, you cannot be both. You cannot be both. And they look at me as if I'm speaking a foreign language. I'm like, no, the Bible says you are a saint. Now, a lot of people don't even believe they're saints. And I'm like, well, then you need to stop reading any of the letters that Paul writes because hes it's addresses to the saints. So if you don't believe that you're a saint and that you've been made perfect, well now that's an issue because then the Satan will completely twist things in your life and now all of a sudden you're walking more so in sin because you think, well, I'm a sinner, this is just my nature. no, you've been given a divine nature. So if we turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 18 it says if it is hard for the righteous to be saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner So that is huge right there it says if it is hard for the righteous to be saved so now the righteous is you the righteous is the saints what will become of the ungodly and sinner If you say you're a sinner, you're saying you're ungodly. You're saying you're not righteous. You're saying that you have not been saved. And that in and of itself is unfortunate because Jesus died to set you free from sin so that you stop sinning. That's why we need to repent, change the way we think, be then in that place through the power of the Holy Spirit, We're bringing then God's governments, his kingdom, down on earth as it is in heaven. And this is all, really, what this is all saying is if you are intimate with the Lord, if you are spending time with the Lord, you and him are one. Therefore, you are going to be moving with God. The longer you stare at him, the more you become him and his way of thinking. And the Bible says so much specifically about who you are in Christ. First off, it says that you are partakers of a divine nature. That's who you are. You have a divine nature now. Jesus dwells in you. You have the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You have all the experience. You need to go out and do the same thing that Jesus did because Jesus, it wasn't Jesus doing that. It was the Holy Spirit doing that with Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit that was leading him. It was the Holy Spirit that was healing people. You have that same power from on high. And that goes into the last chapter we talked about, which was the Holy Spirit. And how important it is to be baptized in that Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit rests upon you. It doesn't just live in you in the new birth experience and the baptism of Jesus Christ, but it actually lives upon you. And we have everything because he has given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. What's outside of everything? Nothing. Meaning that you have been given everything. He hasn't held anything back from you. He has given, he's gone all in on you. And you've been given this authority, which is what we're going to be talking about in chapters leading up. And you now are co-heirs with him. You are seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. You are right next to him. And he loves you so much. He wants you to be set free from this old mindset. So we need to stop thinking that we're imperfect because we've been made perfect and we've been called to be mature, which mature deals with perfection. That mindset has got to go. With that being said, we've got Debbie Simpson on the line and she's gonna also be bringing up different ideas, a different biblical understandings of what it means when we talk about identity. Debbie, you there? I am. Uh, Feel free to take it away.
1: Okay, well, I really appreciate what you shared, and we will be bouncing back and forth off of that. And absolutely, you know, we're, this is a study on identity, and to believe that we're still a sinner versus a saint, we might be a saint who sins, but death but we're not a sinner. That's not our identity. And that is, that's the distinction that we need to live in. We live up to what we perceive ourselves to be. And if we will never get off of that podium that we are a sinner, that that's our identity, that that's woven into the very essence of who we are, then um, we will always be crippled and handicapped in our ability to move forward. As we discovered, <clears throat> excuse me, in our study on the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God exerts its influence on the spirit of each believer, as revealed in First Corinthians two nine, we went over that in our last podcast, the spirit of God searches the mind of God and reveals the things to the spiritual man, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. We see here that being a spiritual man is a qualifying factor to be able to accept the things of the spirit of God. And, you know, going back to the whole identity. And if, if we are seeing ourselves as a sinner and that that is our identity, and that's woven in the very essence of who we see ourselves as being, then we're not going to be able to receive that which is spiritual. So, unfortunately, that portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 2.9 finishes and concludes with Paul's lamenting that he was unable to speak to these believers as spiritual men, as they were carnal. They were not mature. They were not more ready to apprehend divine things. So as we delve into this chapter on identity, we'll be looking at scriptures with keywords reveal a believer's potential in Christ. As believers, however, we how as believers, how we see ourselves, how we define our identity in Christ will dictate how we operate as kingdom citizens in the kingdom of God. We must remember that as citizens of the kingdom of God that this is a spiritual supernatural kingdom with a spiritual supernatural God. And therefore, it must be expected, reasonably expected, that to join our spiritual supernatural God in his kingdom, we too must operate in a spiritual supernatural way. But the question is, are there scriptures to support this? And the answer is yes, Um, there are. And in these scriptures, there are key words that inherent in each Definition of these words are the spiritual, supernatural qualities that identify or characterize our identity as believers. This is our scriptural foundation upon which we stand. We're going to be looking at scriptures that talk about and reveal such words as wisdom, revelation, knowledge, understanding, enlightenment, mystery, hidden, and Fullness. So we're going to look at some of these scriptures, and we're going to look at these definitions because these are scriptures that tell us as believers who we are in Christ, what is our identity. So the first, um, the first thing as we look at this, we're going to look at Ephesians one seventeen and Colossians one nine to ten as these reveal what God sees in his people, what God sees as the identity of believers. So if we go to Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, the scriptures read like this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So we're talking about coming into our full inheritance and to be able to do that. We are given these tools. So we see here, God is going to give us a spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is insight imparted from God with respect to divine opinion, divine counsel for practical application. So this insight is coming from God. It's not coming from man. Then it goes on to say that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the revelation is the removal of ignorance or the removal of darkness by the communication of knowledge, illumination, instruction, Disclosure of truths through the Holy Spirit. These disclosures concerning divine things by God, again, through his Holy Spirit. This is the, the definition of revelation in the knowledge, the precise and the correct knowledge of God's will. Not the knowledge that maybe you've been taught that was not precise or correct, but this is the knowledge because it came Concerning divine things by the Holy Spirit of God and included in this knowledge is the blessings bestowed on man through Christ. That's what the whole whole book is trying to uncover. Everything has been bestowed on man through Christ. That the eye of your understanding. Understanding is a very interesting word. It's really defined. And I got the definition from... The book of Daniel we talked about how Daniel was given understanding by God. Understanding is defined as this you would never guess it. A running together as two rivers into one. So when we have understanding, it says that there's two rivers. There's God's understanding and there's our understanding. And when our river of understanding flows together as God and the two become one river. Then we have understanding. So I thought that that was very, very encouraging when I learned that. The eye of your understanding be enlightened. That word enlightened is illumination from the Lord Himself. This is what you're getting in your prayer chair, your prayer closet. You're not getting illuminated from a person who you're going to for counsel, though the Holy Spirit might speak to them. If the Holy Spirit, if you are getting illuminated, it's because it is the Holy Spirit speaking through them. It's not because it's their understanding, you know, based on a human understanding from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we're saying here that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling. You may know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the faith. This is in you. So when we plug those definitions in, so we could um, accurately read Ephesians 1, to 18, here's your identity as revealed by God and his opinion on the matter. It would say this, that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of insight imparted from God himself in respect to divine opinion for practical application. This is for practical application. How am I going to handle the situation, Lord? And the removal of ignorance and darkness by the communication of light, knowledge, illumination, and instruction in the precise and correct knowledge of of things, of divine things, and of the knowledge of God's holy will. And, you know, you had mentioned yesterday or at one point, I think we talked about this before, how am I supposed to know the will of God? You know, we're not only supposed to know the will of God, we're supposed to know his opinion on the matter. And that's another deception that keeps us handicapped and handcuffed in our ability to walk in the fullness of what God wants from us. Our whole stance in the deception that we stand in now is, well, no one can know God's will, not according to these definitions. And not only are we supposed to know the will of God, we're supposed to know his opinion on the matter with respect to divine counsel, his opinion Colossians 1 9 also states for this cause we also since the day we heard of it do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you may be filled with the knowledge the precise and correct knowledge of God's will the knowledge of the blessings bestowed on man through Christ that you may um, be filled with the knowledge of his will In all wisdom, insight imparted from God in respect to divine counsels or divine opinion. And spiritual understanding. You know, that spiritual, again, is the power of perceiving and grasping eternal divine things. Spiritual is that which the Holy Spirit exerts his influence because we're not quenching him, grieving him, and stiff-arming him. We're not mislabeling him as the spirit of Satan, right? Spiritual, that which qualifies man to lay hold of incomprehensible, invisible, eternal things, and that which is produced by the sole power of God Himself without natural instrumentation. Again, what's the purpose of all this? The purpose of all this is to help us understand that in God's eyes, we are spiritual and therefore supernatural. We're beyond the natural functioning. So we see that also in Colossians 1 9. If we go to first corinthians two seven we see that believers are recipients of hidden mysteries now revealed. So when we look at um first corinthians two seven it says, "But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory." And as you go on, it's what I has not seen and you has not heard. But God has revealed these things to his spiritual man. So we're looking at the words hidden and the mystery's hidden. The mystery is a sacred thing. It's a mystery, it's just not a a puzzle. It's a sacred thing that is naturally unknown to human intellect or human reasoning. This isn't something that you're going to be able to get in the Bible and by sheer dint of will, study these words and come up with a spiritual understanding. Your intellectual mind with reasoning and logic is not going to reveal or unpack a mystery, okay? These sacred things are naturally unknown to human intellect, human reasoning. These mysteries are only made known by revelation from God. Hidden, interesting. Hidden is laid up in store for a benevolent purpose. God has these things laid up in store for us, for our good. But why are they laid up in store? Because they're only for the mature, the one more ready to apprehend divine things. It's like you've got a three-year-old and you buy a bicycle and you put it in the attic for when he's six. He cannot ride the bicycle at the age of three. So it's laid up in store for a benevolent purpose, waiting until your child is more ready to receive the gift of the bicycle. So as we're looking at First Corinthians 2, 6 to 8, we say, But well, we speak insight and parted from God in respect to divine counsel, a divine gift for practical application. application. A sacred thing, naturally unknown to human reasoning, and only made known by the revelation of God, even the insight imparted from God, with respect to divine things. these divine things that are hidden with a benevolent purpose and laid up in store for us, which God ordained before for our glory. And then finally, not to belabor the point, but um what we're going to see in ephesians four thirteen is what is revealed or housed in believers. So, Ephesians 4.13 states, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge, we know that word, of the Son of God into the perfect, the matured man, more ready to apprehend the divine things, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are expected to measure up to the fullness of Christ. Fullness is the topmost measure of the power, the topmost measure of the presence, the topmost measure of the agency, and the topmost measure of the riches of Christ. Well, let's define agency. Agency is the extension of power or authority. So we are filled with the topmost measure. There isn't room for any more. Of the extension of the power of Christ, of the extension of the authority of Christ, That's the agency of Christ. So we look at Ephesians 4.13. So we all come into the unity of the faith in the precise and the correct knowledge. That's what these verses are giving us, this precise and correct knowledge of God's holy will. Oh, we can know the will of God and the knowledge of the blessings bestowed on men through Christ. That's his identity, such that we are more ready to apprehend divine things as is God's expectation of us unto the measure and the stature that we are filled to the topmost measure with the presence of Christ, the power of Christ. We're filled to the topmost measure with the extension of the power and the authority of Christ and the riches of God and his kingdom. So what we're seeing here is um, how how God defines the identity of His believers, what describes to believers, what we are recipients of, and what we have, and so as we're looking into our identity, what I was hoping to um just confirm for people is the, the validity. These are just three verses. But any time in the New Testament that you're reading a Bible verse that ascribes to the believer wisdom or revelation or knowledge or enlightenment or understanding to be filled with the fullness or the glory of God, or they're ascribing to the believer a spiritual anything, then that is validation that this can be truthfully believed, that this is who we are. These Words and definition give believers permission to believe it's about ourselves without being accused of being trifled. When I first started sharing this with my friends and family, they, like me, coming from a background where none of this was part of our understanding of who we are, I had the finger point, you are so prideful. How dare you believe that about yourself? You are filled with pride. And I went to the Lord in prayer. He said, no, it's not pride. Not believing this is prideful because pride is elevating your opinion above the Word of God. It is an act of humility to receive and believe God's Word. And it's an act of pride to reject it because you have a better idea. Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no way, no place to lay his head. We all know that Jesus had a home. We all know that he had a place to go and to sleep at night. What he was saying is that he is the head and he is looking for a body. He's got no place. To to lay his head. He's looking for a body. John the Baptist said, He must increase, I must decrease. Physic- physical picture, spiritual truth. John the Baptist was beheaded, and it pictures for us the walk of any believer. We need to be beheaded so that Christ can be the head. The church today has too many talking heads. We need to be quiet, and we need to let Jesus, the head, be the one who tells us who and what we are, and we, in humility to that, don't have a better idea. So when we look in the physical realm, and someone is walking where their brain does one thing, but their body does something else, we call that psychotic. And the Christian church is a psychotic church because Jesus is the head and if the head is saying one thing, and the body is believing in doing something else, that would be psychotic, and that's not what we want. You had said yesterday on a, the previous podcast with regard to the Holy Spirit, Adam, that the Holy Spirit can illuminate our walk, and that's the very definition of enlightenment. Enlightenment is to illuminate through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that is true. So when I say that if these Scriptures reveal a believer's potential. That's because our potential is the Lamborghini. But if we're not believing these things about ourselves, we're going to continue to operate like that, 90s Honda. So that is the, you know, that's the exhortation with regards to these scriptures. If they do nothing more than give validation that everything that God is saying in his word can be believed in and can be walked in, and we start to believe that and repent and we change our mind, then we can begin to walk in the fullness of all this. And if we're not, we can't. As I mentioned earlier, these scriptures only reveal a believer's potential. Why? Because if we do not see ourselves the way God sees us, we'll be unable to walk in the fullness of what we do not know we possess. Also, as mentioned earlier, we now belong to a spiritual supernatural kingdom, and unfortunately, by reason of this, we have acquired a spiritual supernatural enemy. Our identity in Christ, in its fullness, when walked out, is a power tool given to us to defeat the enemy. Satan knows that when believers understand truly who they are in Christ, he will suffer loss. He will suffer defeat, and that is why he will plant seeds of deception that gain a foothold and become a stronghold in the minds of believers so as to cause them to understand, to cause them to, excuse me, to cause them to undervalue what they became at salvation. You know, so in addition to these spiritual character traits inherited in salvation, believers also inherit a position in the kingdom of God as a co-heir with Christ. And this is the inheritance, even if you read the scripture, that you may come to know the fullness of, of your inheritance in the state. So we want to walk in that full in that full inheritance. So well, um, that's a lot, Adam. So, you know, I'll pause here for... A little bit, or was there anything that you wanted
0: to add? And yeah, the only thing I wanted to add is I mean, I can completely relate to that as far as that mindset that I had prior to understanding who I actually was in Christ, my identity. I remember there was a pastor that held up a mirror, and everybody would walk towards him, look in the mirror that he was holding up, and he would ask the question, What do you see? And I remember, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. I am the scum of the unit, like literally, I'm the scum, I'm a worm, I'm all these things um, that I would say because I wanted to, it was like a false sense of humility and, um, and which is in essence a false sense of humility is pride. And the thing is, I didn't know what Jesus really did for me. I didn't know who, what my identity was. And by not seeing myself correctly, I wasn't able to see others correctly. So and that that was a huge like transformation in my life was because if you're not seeing yourself how God sees you, you're not going to see others how God sees them. And I mean, when you think about it, we were purchased with a price. That price was the death of Jesus Christ. What what is our worth? A lot of people are like, I'm unworthy, or I I, I just don't feel worthy. It's like, well, your worth is heaven going bankrupt to win you back to his kingdom. Like heaven paid a high price for each and every one of us. And that was Jesus dying on the cross. Because you have so many people that don't think highly of themselves from a standpoint of the, of a self-worth. It's like, no, no, you are worth heaven going bankrupt. Now, with that being said, I've also had it where I'm like, well, what would you do in this situation? You know, I would go and do this. And It's like, And I mean, wouldn't you? And I'd ask the person like, well, Jesus would do that, but I'm not Jesus. And Jesus would react like that, but I'm not Jesus. And it's like, okay, so let's go through who Jesus is and who you are scripturally. First off, Jesus was baptized. All right. Well, we are baptized. Jesus was human. Well, we're human. But then like, yeah, but Jesus was divine. Well, we've been given a divine nature, so we're divine. Jesus had a carnal mind, and they're like, whoa, 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 Jesus had a carnal mind. Yeah, he had a will to go against God. Not my will, but your will be done. We have the same thing. We just need to not function in that carnal mind, because Jesus had a carnal mind, but wasn't carnal minded. We're we started out carnal-minded, but what were we given? The mind of Christ. And Jesus was the Son of God. We are a Son of God. I always say he was the Son of God. We are a Son of God. So we're a Son of God. On top of that, we've been made holy and, and sinless. because our sins have been washed away. So, Jesus never sinned. God sees us as never sinning. So, therefore, you've got that guilt, shame, and condemnation completely washed away. So, now you're literally looking, what is the difference between us and Jesus? And when I ask that question, after laying that out, they're like, well, nothing. That's why we are told to imitate Christ. Jesus is perfect theology, and he told us to go in the Great Commission. Love says go. We were made in the image of love. Love never fails. So, if we go into a place, we are literally bringing Jesus, bringing the government of heaven, bringing all the power of the Holy Spirit into that realm, into that place. Let's say it's a dark place. We're bringing the very light into that place because that's who we are. We are image bearers of the Most High, ambassadors of the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom down to earth just as it is in heaven. And that's what we've been called to do. And in that process, we are seeking Him Constantly growing in intimacy with the Father, therefore renewing our minds so that we're able to see ourselves how God sees them and we're able to do the very things God has done back in the day, 2,000 years ago. Not only will we do the works that Jesus was doing, but we will do greater works. Now, a lot of people are like, well, those greater works, that's just bringing people to, you know, saving them. I'm like, yes, but he still mentioned greater works that he's done. So not only will the disciples do the works that Jesus is doing, the healing of the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, but greater works. So we should still be doing those works that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Why? Because Jesus is still on earth. He's in us. The hope of glory lives in us. And we need to take that hope, take that identity, And go into the world. And that's when I look at identity and I look at where the church really does need to get an understanding, to get that wisdom and that understanding on who we are in him. It is a just game changer. And I'm taking your words, Debbie, on that one. It is a game changer. And it truly is. uh, Because now we are destroying hell for a living. We're destroying the works of the devil for a living. That's what Jesus came to do, to destroy the works. We are to do that too, because Jesus reigns right now. His kingdom reigns right now. It's in us, and we are to take that kingdom and keep gaining ground on the enemy. That is our purpose here on earth. Anyways, uh, we're running out of time. A little over time, actually, Uh, but uh, it was a great discussion. Debbie, do you have anything that you want to say?
1: Oh, um, yeah, just in conclusion, real quick, understanding, again, understanding the truth regarding our identity is imperative. If our believers were to grow up into the fullness of all God intended us to be. to be, you know, If as believers we stay stunted in our understanding of our identity, then we will live as children that we talked about in the chapter when we talked about in Galatians 4, it talked about the child in your faith versus the son. And the difference is when you're a child, you're not walking in the fullness of who you are yet to become, and therefore your reality is not really your truth. And so that's why it's so imperative to understand that if we walk in the fullness of everything that we talked about today, then the the spiritual truth becomes our physical reality. And the maturity of sons um, in this scenario in Galatians 4 is that of a son growing up into full maturity. So basically, um, just to, to finish up, Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Knowing our identity reveals our position in the kingdom and it is the equipping to accomplish the purpose of the kingdom. This is why this is so important. If you're not getting this you know, founded in your life, Uh, at the onset, then you're not going to be able to move forward and accomplish what you were intended. This is a spiritual endeavor as it's a spiritual kingdom, and it requires to be instituted by a spiritual man through the Spirit of God in him, upon him, and communicating to him the very mind of God to accomplish God's business in the earthly realm. That's the crux. This isn't about us. If we're not receiving the truth because we're we're not humble enough to agree with God, that we're not going to receive the equipping to accomplish his move on this earth. And so it's really all about God, and are we going to be and do what he needs us to be and do?
0: No, that's really good, and I know that the one thing that Jesus says about himself, the one characteristic that he says is, I am humble. I am humble. And that's the one word that he uses to describe himself, humble. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. wow. That's what we need to be. We need to be completely, completely free from ourselves. We need to deny ourselves completely. And then we need empty. I was going to say, we empty our vessels and then so that we're only filled with him. And in that process, then we're able to do the same things that Jesus did because it's him working through us. So we finally just get out of the way. We, Basically, die. It's a death to self. Finally, dead. Therefore, we're alive in Him. And now we're moving in life and we're giving life to others because it's the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit's work in us, just yes. like Jesus 2,000 years ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, with that being said, um, uh, that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Debbie. I look forward to moving on to the next chapter. Uh, The next chapter, which is going to be chapter six, is on authority, which is on authority. And uh, I'm looking forward to that and what that looks like in our daily walk. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day, Debbie.
1: Thank you.